This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and shake and sprinkle it on whatever else we're eating. And that's because this week we're talking about furikake. Furikake. Did I say that right? Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy saying, you know, obviously my my American pronunciation of the, the Japanese R. I find it satisfying, kind of slapping the roof of my mouth with my tongue. No, I think it sounds pretty good. Oh, thank you. So should we should we define furikake first or should we do memory lane first? Let's define it first. Okay, so furikake is a Japanese sprinkle seasoning, not unlike shichimi togodashi, which we did a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. but furikake is uh, especially made to go on rice, and it always has some crunchy bits in it and something sea-flavored, <laughs> like mm-hmm. dried fish or seaweed or both. Right. You know, when you say Japanese sprinkle seasoning, uh-huh. it makes me think about what American sprinkle seasonings we have because... Right. We've ta- we know, talked about this last time, I think. Like, we talked about, like, Lowry's seasoning salt. Did we talk about Mrs. Dash? Mo- yeah. Molly McButter? Molly McButter, those are like butter... Butter buds. Those are like butter buds, but I think, <laughs> but but I mean, yeah, that's a sprinkle seasoning. It's interesting though because I don't think of a sprinkle seasoning in American culture being something that is out on the table while you're eating. I mean, I know that actually all the things we're talking about would be out on the table while you're eating, <laughs> but I I don't. It, they're not as integrated into the the like average American dining table situation as furikake or shichimi. Togarashi. Yeah, that's true. The, I just, another one came. Oh, is cinnamon sugar a sprinkle seasoning? Do you think? Uh, I don't think that, I don't call it a seasoning. I feel like it's like a, it's a spice. Yeah. Is, cinnamon sugar is a spice. Interesting. I don't, I, I, there's no real word for what <laughs> cinnamon sugar is just itself. Okay. Um, so, anyway. All right. So, do you have any Furikake memory lane? I do. I do. I think that the first time I encountered it was uh, certainly at a Japanese restaurant in one of the little, like, you know, cylindrical glass jars, usually next to the togarashi. The togarashi would have, like, uh, an orange plastic lid, I think, and the Furikake would have a green one. Yeah. Does the, this sound the familiar? The green one could also, is also often Aonori, which is, like, finely, finely powdered ground. Uh, seaweed. Okay. But but it could be either one. So I think that 
that's where I first encountered it. And honestly, I don't know that I ever picked it up and used it. I think I probably picked it up and sniffed it. But I think that... It sounds like you. It does sound like me. I, I pick up everything and sniff it. Yep. Anyway, I think that I probably first really understood... <laughs> when I take the- you out for your walk, I'm always having to say, don't pick that up and sniff it. No. <laughs> yeah, and then you swap me across the nose with a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Do people still do that to their dogs? I mean, I hope not. I hope not either. Anyway, I think that going to Tokyo with you in the fall of 2017 was probably the first time that I really understood how much I loved furikake. Prior to that, I didn't understand how much I loved furikake. <laughs> I was constantly mystified by my love for it. Well, no, no. I think if uh, if people haven't yet picked up a copy of your, of your new book, The Fixed Stars, <laughs> it's all about how uh, how you came to understand uh, your love for furikake <laughs> exactly. and whether whether it was like in there all along. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is one born with a love for furikake or can it change over a lifetime? This book, which is a very good and mostly very serious (laughs) book, makes such a versatile punchline. It really does. You are welcome. Anyway, so now I always keep furikake in the house. I even have a little designated container for it. Oh, what does Um, it look like? Uh, it's it's the one that I bought at the Togarashi of shop. Of course. Um, yeah, in Asakusa. Yes. Anyway, it's it's a clear plastic little um, little cylinder. It's maybe four inches tall with a little lid that's got a flip top. And we actually have this funny little like um, silver dish that used to be my grandmother's or something that we always keep the Togarashi and the Furikake in. And it sits on a shelf with our rice in the cabinet. And we pull it down whenever we're having rice or anything else uh, vaguely Japanese-y. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my memory lane maybe goes back to 2017. There you go. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know if I was really aware of furikake before I started traveling to Japan either. Like I definitely remember it from from my first big trip in 2012, but uh, I know I had probably encountered it before that, maybe like on an onigiri or something like that, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I would have known what it was called. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, you know, relates to the history of furikake because it didn't actually settle into that name until relatively recently as far as ancient foods go. Oh, well, perhaps you'd like to tell me the history. I would love to. Okay. So... Furikake does not have as ancient a history as uh, Shichimi Togodashi, which uh, we talked about, the the spicy spice blend that goes back to, I think we said, like the 17th century. Mm-hmm, that, that sounds right. So Furikake really started as a nutritional supplement. And it was one of these things like how, you know, uh, when you learn about the history of Coca-Cola, like it was invented by a pharmacist to be like a health drink. And uh, then only only much later did people realize, oh, this is very tasty and is the opposite of a health drink. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Furikake, not not that it's like unhealthy in the same way as soda, but uh, like it was originally billed as a calcium supplement. And it was developed by a pharmacist in Kumamoto in, uh, in Kyushu named uh, Yoshimaru Suikichi. And the original product was made with sesame, poppy seeds, seaweed, and fish bones, like ground fish oh, bones. Oh, okay. And it was called uh, Gohan no Tomo, which means friend of rice. Oh, that's so sweet. And you can still buy that brand today. Have you had it? I have not had it, but it's uh, it comes in a, a very uh, nice looking plastic uh sleeve and still advertises been 
big bold letters on the package like it it says CA for calcium. Wow. So I wonder what what the fishbone, you know, obviously they add a lot of calcium, but I wonder what they do in terms of flavor because so for one thing, I mean, I I think that when we talk about furikake, similar to to togarashi, but but even more so, we're talking about a wide variety of of actual flavor blends here. Yes, absolutely. and the ones that I've had that had fish flakes in them, for me, taste-wise, were so different from the ones I'd had that didn't have fish flakes. Yeah, absolutely. And that instead just had seaweed. I wouldn't even use them in the same places. So it's fascinating to think of what it would taste like with fish bones. So I kind—I don't think I've had that variety, but I have an idea of what it would be like because I have eaten quite a lot of crispy fried fish bones mm-hmm. in Japan it's called hone sembe, and which means like like sembe, like rice crackers, but in this case, it's bone crackers. Mm. And so, like especially like an, an eel, uh, which has like a a long but thin backbone. After you fillet the eel and and grill the fillets, like you will fry the uh, the bone, the backbone, and it gets you... really crispy and salty and like not super intense fish flavored, but definitely noticeably so. You have a great story about your child eating fried eel backbone in Pretty Good Number One. I do. You want me to tell the story now? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So back on our first trip to Japan in uh, in 2012. Teenager of the show, Iris, uh, who was then not quite a teenager, they were eight. Uh, we went to our favorite uh, tempura shop, now sadly closed, uh, called Tenta. The Iris's favorite thing there was the the crispy eel backbone, which uh, after the chef would would uh, fillet and fry the uh, the saltwater eel. Uh, he would tie the backbone into into a, an overhand knot and uh, toss it into the fryer, not breaded, just just like fried, uh, super crispy, and uh, and Iris would eat it. And uh, so, like the last time we went, I think before before uh, we left Tokyo, um, uh, we, we ordered the freshwater eel, and uh, and the chef presented it to Iris, and Iris picked it up with their chopsticks and uh, promptly dropped it onto the floor, and it and we were like, oh no, this is good. this is that moment like when the kid loses their ice cream. Uh, mm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like the saddest kid face you can possibly see. And uh, and the chef was like, uh, no, hey, pick it up. Give it to me. And and Iris was like, what? We were all like, what? And Iris picked it up and uh, and passed it back to the chef who threw this eel bone from the floor back into the fryer and, and uh, pulled it out and presented it back to Iris kind of with a flourish. And, oh, my uh, and God. And Iris ate it. So I love it. Five second love rule. It it's, uh, applies cross-culturally around the world. <laughs> I'm so, so glad to know that. So anyway, like if you crunch that up, it would be a great furikake ingredient. Okay. So, all right. So uh, like Coca-Cola, uh, furikake started out as being a questionably marketed health supplement. Right. And after World War II, so, so it was introduced at a time when Nutrition was a, you know, and uh, malnutrition was a very serious issue in Japan, like around uh, after after like World War One and uh, and during uh, around the time of the of the great Kanto earthquake. And then after World War Two, uh, Nishin Foods um, commercialized furikake on a large scale and they build it as a nutritional supplement that would turn rice into a complete meal. Mm. The name furikake didn't become the generic name for this type of seasoning until around 1959 when the National Furikake Association was established. How can we become members? Um, that I was thinking about that. I think we have to 
start a futakake business, but I don't know. It probably has to be located in Japan. It probably has to be like a business of a certain size. I don't know. We should look into this. We should. Yeah. I mean, you know, when this podcast, you know, when it, when it runs dry, Matthew, when we finally run out of things it's to talk about. pretty dry. It is pretty dry. When we finally run out of things to talk about, we're going to need a new line of work. So... I National feel like we've had some pretty good business ideas along the way. I don't remember any of them. So let's <laughs> go with joining the National Futakake Association. <laughs> okay, it sounds great. like you just want them to bail us out when our Futakake business inevitably fails. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds fine with me. Okay. Yeah, so Futakake, it, uh, like I said, it's got to have something salty and something crispy. Other than that, kind of anything goes. And the, the simplest form of Futakake is just is uh, gomashio, which is just salt and sesame seeds. That's considered a Futakake. Okay, and that's what you mentioned as possibly being in one of the little glass cylinders I remember seeing in Japanese restaurants. You know, um, yeah, time, that, that is definitely a, uh, a condiment that you see widely, like uh, at, at ramen places, you'll very often see that, mm-hmm. Okay, for example. Okay. Great. There is a close relationship, I think, between furikake and ochazuke. Have you ever had ochazuke? I don't think so. We should do an episode. So wait, what do you, okay, wait, hold on, I'm reading the agenda. So, so packaged ochazuke, mm-hmm. is that how, okay, ochazuke mix is just furikake with a little green tea powder? So- Ochazuke is a mixed rice dish where you take rice and you put some toppings on, like uh, usually like some dried toppings, like like uh, seaweed or dried fish, or it could be like some fresh fish, like uh, some uh, umeboshi, something like that. And then you pour tea on it. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, and so it has it has like the flavor, like usually like a, a seaweed or fish flavor and a tea flavor, and it's very good and very like kind of like homey, like something you would eat like when you're recovering from being sick um, mm-hmm. or just like like a really like simple homey dish. But nowadays, like you, it's something that you can like whip up at work because you, you can get like a, an Ochazuke packet that has all the seasonings you need, including the dried tea powder and just add hot water. And there's also just like instant Ochazuke in the same way there's like cup of noodles. So uh, do you do you ever purchase it Wajimaya? Um, from time to time, I have a friend who really likes a particular brand from Japan, so I will often stock up on that and uh, and give it to her when I get back. It's not something I eat a lot. And if I okay. were going to, I would probably toss on some uh, some furikake and then use some freshly brewed tea rather than the tea powder, which is not bad, but it's not as good as freshly made tea. That sounds really good. And really, um, I can understand how you would want it when you're like a little under the weather. It yeah. sounds so soothing and yet like toasty and... Uh, it sounds really good. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's put it on the uh, the to do list. Okay. Cool. So okay. Here's the thing. When I think about furikake, though, now that we're in the middle of of this episode, <laughs> I realize that actually, Matthew, I think that of all the foods that I have eaten with you um, on the two trips we've we've been to Tokyo together, I don't think I've ever used furikake actually in Tokyo. I've just bought it and brought it home. <laughs> That's fine. And then used it a bunch at home. Can we just backtrack for a second and say, like, what do you put it on in, in restaurants usually? Because, like, you know, you'd see it on a table or something there. What do you do with it? <laughs> um, I mean, I think of it, like, I don't use it much in restaurants. I think of it as being, like, a thing that, that you'd put on a bento, especially. So, like, if you'd go into a bento shop and, like, build your own bento, like, there would definitely be food Kake available to shake on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know I, I see it on tables, and you're right. I don't use it as much as I use like a 
komashio, which is technically a furikake or uh, or shichimi togodashi, especially. Yeah, I think about um, how how much I loved using shichimi togodashi when we went out for um, for udon, for instance, yes. using like shaking it into the broth and all that stuff, or using a little bit on ramen. But yeah, I don't think I used furikake there. You know, so we're gonna get to this, but you know, the place where you would find furikake like on every table more so than in Japan is in Hawaii. And I learned oh. quite a bit about the role of furikake in Hawaiian cuisine. But let's let's set that aside for okay. now. We'll get to okay. that in a minute. Oh, wait, Matthew, it yeah. just occurred to me that we have not actually said what the word furikake means. Oh, it means uh, shake and sprinkle. That's my translation. Is that is that also your life mantra? It is also my life mantra. I try <laughs> I try and uh, like shake and sprinkle a little happiness on things wherever I go. <laughs> I'm like Johnny that's, Johnny Appleseed, but for exact- some unspecified salty food powder. <laughs> that's exactly how I think of you. Man. Yeah. My life has had so much less sprinkle and shaken happiness since I've been sitting alone in a closet talking with you instead of sitting with you in person. No, once once you come over, like you're gonna be you're gonna be greeted with like just a, a shower of salty flakes. <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna be like uh, like in a Greek myth, right? Oh, oh, in a Greek myth, people get showered with salty flakes? I think that's how Zeus sometimes appears and impregnates people. Oh, God, please don't impregnate. Oh, my God, I got so freaked out about that. I said impregnate. Please don't impregnate me with anything. Matthew. You know what? Okay, I won't. Okay, great. Woo. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. God, I'm glad we got that settled. Oh man. Okay, yeah. Let's let's move on the agenda here. The next category is how to buy. Um, how to buy? Yes. Um, how to buy furikake? Okay. So if you go shopping for furikake, like you you can often find it like in the Asian ingredients aisle of uh, a American supermarket. You can find it in any Japanese market and many uh, non-Japanese Asian markets. And the most common brand you will find, which is made in China, is uh, Ajishima Foods Norikomi Furikake. Mm. And uh, when uh, teenager of the show Iris was using some yesterday and said, oh yeah, this is the kind of furikake that everyone gets. It's the most popular brand. And it's you know super simple and good. Yes. I think I bought it at, um, let's see, I had run out of the stuff I, I had brought back from Tokyo. And I think that I bought this brand recently at Central Market in northern Seattle, I could not get over the sweetness of it. Like, the sugar was really pronounced, and I was like, what the hell is this stuff? And I threw it away. Okay, yeah, it's sesame, sugar, seaweed, salt, and preservatives. Um, It was markedly sweet compared to what I had had from uh, Yaganburi. Okay, yeah, it is is definitely sweet. I guess that doesn't bug me, because I like it. Okay. 
Okay. Um, All right. And one thing I like about it, this, this brand does have other varieties, like more, like I suspect some of the fishier ones are less sweet, although I'm not sure. One thing I like about this is that uh, well, it comes in a nice glass jar and the lid has a really big hole for shaking it. And I like anything where, where the packaging just says, you're going to use a lot of this. Like, we know this. Here's here's a big hole for you. That's so interesting because the container that I bought at Yagenburi, which I keep my furakake in, has a really big hole on top. And I always feel like the hole is too big. So I wind up shaking the furakake into my hand and then sort of distributing it over my rice. Well, and that's good because then you can you can like Stick your, it stick, your, stick your tongue into the little pile on your hand and, and just eat some that way. That's pretty fun, that's too. What Maybe I do. that's actually why I do it. Uh, yeah, I never, I always wondered why the hole was so big, but I really like your take on it that, that, that <laughs> you know, it's like you're going to want a lot of this. Of course I am. I mean, do you think there could be some other explanation for why the hole is big? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time considering the industrial design of these sprinkle seasoning containers. Fair. Yeah, I'm I'm going to like put a little in my hand and and lick it up right now. Oh, that's kind of a lot. All mm. right. So do mm. do you uh do you have the norikomi? I one? do. Okay. Oh, it's so good. It is. Yeah, it's sweet, but I it's balanced with the saltiness and now it is all over my hand and I can't reach the napkins. <laughs> So that's, that's what your tongue is for. I guess, yeah, I'm just going to lick the rest off like a cat. Okay. Mm. All right. So, Matthew, what do you use it for at home? Like, what was Teenager of the Show Iris putting it on? Oh, this was so great. I was, yesterday, sitting at the table. I think I was in a meeting for work, and Teenager of the Show Iris brought over a freshly made onigiri rice ball that was wrapped in seaweed and then the the exposed edge rolled in norikomi furikake. It was so great. Oh, God. We made onigiri a couple of weeks ago. We made it with a little bit of salmon left over from the previous night's dinner. It was just... It w- honestly, it wasn't as good as what you can get in a convenience store. <laughs> well, in Tokyo. it never is, yeah. But anyway, I've had on the the sort of meal planning list ever since then um, a plan to make tuna onigiri with like uh, you know like tuna salad in the middle. Oh sure. Oh, I'm so excited about it. I don't know why I haven't done it yet. Oh, but yeah, anyway, I don't know why I didn't think to to bust out the furakake when we made the salmon ones. That sounds oh god. Iris, please come over and make a snack for me. Yeah, now to to be fair, then I wanted another one, but Iris had eaten all of them. So all the rest of the rice. Yeah, so at home, like I use it pretty much for putting on rice and onigiri, which is rice. So yeah. um, it, it really, you know, when we get into Hawaiian cuisine, we're going to talk about some other ways to use it. Uh, but fundamentally, it is it is made to be a friend of rice. Uh, we tend to use it at home when we have. So if we have nothing else in the house, we always have rice. We always have eggs. We always have furukake. And then there's always some sort of vegetable kicking around that we can cut up raw or cooked. Mm-hmm. So Ash's father is um, is South Korean. And so Ash grew up with, you know, with a, a rice cooker always filled with rice yeah. on the counter. So Ash particularly loves it when we have this meal. And they've gotten really into furukake, too. Awesome. So, yeah. Anyway, but uh, hold on. Wait, can you make this stuff at home? Because what do I do when I run out of my supply if I don't want to buy the the norikomi? Okay, you can. And as usual, whenever we talk about a Japanese recipe, like the first place I always turn is uh, the website justonecookbook.com. I used her instructions to make my onigiri. 
Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. She has a recipe on the website for homemade futakake. And there are lots of other recipes available online, but uh, I'm sure Nami's is great. And when you make homemade futakake, often you will use, and her recipe does call for this, uh, kombu seaweed and katsuobushi fish flakes that have already been used for making dashi. Ah. And this is like thrifty on the one hand, which is great. And also it gives them a, a lighter texture because they've been kind of reconstituted and dried. So this is interesting. So yeah, when I've made dashi, well, you know, you wind up with this like saturated, soggy, you know, kind of pile of fish flakes. Flakes. It looks like paper pulp or something. Yeah, it does. Um, and then your your kombu is nice and soft. And uh, so uh, does she have you like lay these out on some sort of a screen yeah, or something? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I've never done this. Like I've always known that, and, and there are like lots of other things you can do with your with your used uh, kombu and katsobushi. Um, then I have never done any of these things. And like I know every Japanese grandma hates me for this. So I'm going to give this a try. This is very exciting. I had no idea. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll put up a link to the Just One Cookbook method for making homemade furikake yeah. uh, in our show notes. I want to finally talk about Hawaii. Can we get on to this? Yes, because one of the biggest uses for furikake worldwide now has become as a topping for poke. And uh-huh. that, that is like the most common use in uh, Hawaiian cuisine, but there's so much more. So like poke, like, you know, it's a it's a salad of uh, raw fish and other stuff on top of rice. And uh, it uh, is, furikake is almost always used as a topping or mix in. Okay. I guess this is the part to reveal that I've actually never eaten poke. Oh, okay. So here's the thing about poke. In in I don't think this is like a really hot take. I have had poke at some like, you know, poke restaurants that have popped up around Seattle back when that was a big craze maybe four years ago. Right. And I thought it was fine. And what I ended up hearing over and over from people from Hawaii is like this is not really how we do poke in Hawaii. In Hawaii, it's uh, like more simpler and more intensely flavored. And I'm like, okay, that, that that's what I'm missing. Okay. I like this take because, yeah, when I see it, it always seems like, it, it does seem like it's been like dressed up for, uh, you know, a, like a metropolitan yeah. American audience. It's got, it's got a bad case of global pantry going on. Yes, I get that. Okay. Well, interesting. I wonder if we can find find um, like a recipe from a Hawaiian author or a Hawaiian blog or something I think for we how can. they so, would season their poke. So there's a really good Hawaiian food blog called Feeding My Ohana, Ohana being Hawaiian for family. And there are a bunch of recipes on that site. And uh, I mean, there's definitely a poke recipe, but also many other recipes involving uh, furikake, including fish dishes, um, raw and cooked, salads, and I found on this blog and I thought, OK, this must be some uh, some great idea that this blogger came up with. And then was like, oh, no, there are dozens and dozens of recipes for, uh, for this. And is a huge thing in Hawaii is furikake Chex Mix. Yes, I love the thought of this. Have you tried it yet? I have not tried it yet, but I am 100 percent going to try it. It's exactly okay. what it sounds like. It is Chex Mix made with furikake and it has become like a standard dish in Hawaiian cuisine. Oh, my God. OK, while we're sitting here, I'm going to click on the link that you provided 
for uh, in the agenda for the Furukake Chex Mix mm-hmm. because I am so excited to make this. I want to open it up on my browser. Get some get some checks up in here. Yeah, man. Um, okay, that's so. I love the thought of this. I'm so excited. Um, what else do we need to say about? Furukake. What? Anything else you use it in? Um, or not on? really. There's one other thing I want to say about buying it, which is that it is a very popular gift item in Japan. Like mm-hmm. we talked about, how like shichimi togarashi is is a good uh, uh, omiyage, like a gift that you that you get when you travel somewhere and then bring back to the people back home. Mm-hmm. Furukake also because it can be used to highlight local ingredients, like you know. Uh, here's the here's the furukake that uh, that has like our local octopus that's like dried and crushed, and it's also very easy to package in an attractive way, and it is shelf stable. So it is like the perfect thing for this type of gift. So you can buy like a set with five beautifully packaged packets of furukake that have colorful ingredients, like uh, like you know red dried shrimp and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, dried dried red shiso uh, powder is a popular furukake ingredient. It's called yukari. Um, okay. And so like if you if you go to Japan and you're looking for a gift to bring to someone in Japan or to bring to people back home, like a furukake assortment is perfect. Nice. And it's so easy to use because all you have to do is make some rice and put it on and it's going to be delicious. Right. And it also, I imagine, keeps for a while too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I would love to have any of our listeners pipe up maybe on Facebook and let us know if they um, use furukake in any places that we have not already mentioned. Yeah. Speaking of listeners piping up, remember we got into a thing about pipe organs a while back and we had a listener who who asked (gasps) us if we could come uh, who invited us to come and visit his pipe organ? Yes. and play a play a real pipe organ. I lo- wait, I love that you said visit his pipe organ <laughs> as though it were a person or like a I, yeah, like 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 you'd go visit a relative in a like a nursing home or something. Yeah, like. no, I think I think probably most <laughs> organists think of think of pi- their pipe organ as a as a person that uh, just it's like a person that you sit down at and like press on with your feet and and hands. <laughs> It's a um, it's a massage client. It's a massage client, yes. That uh, that makes uh, a lot of noises depending on how they're ma- different noises depending on how they're massaged. But yeah, so like we sort of like got busy and forgot about that, and then now we can't go visit anyone. But like once we're able to visit a local organist, I think we have to make a priority of doing this. Oh my god, me too. I I feel a little bit like teary eyed at the thought of seeing you again and playing an organ with you. <laughs> me too. It's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, Matthew, we should also mention that this episode is airing on uh, on the day of our event to talk oh, about my yeah. new book. Yeah. So um, this evening, August 6th, you and I are both going to be uh, speaking on a, a Zoom feed from one of our very favorite bookstores anywhere, Book Larder, here in Seattle. And we're going to be talking about my new book, which just came out two days ago, called The Fixed Stars. So it's going to be at 5 p.m. That's 5 p.m. Pacific time today, August 6th. Uh, So, you know, if you're listening to this episode promptly upon its release... Uh, you can come join us. Go to booklarder.com. Uh, I think you need to register and then they'll send you a Zoom link, but it's free. And we actually might wind up having like kind of a semi-serious conversation about some things. Yeah, I've been wondering about that. Like, can we do that? I don't know if we can do it, but I think that 
I mean, is it? Are you wondering if we are capable of doing it, or if we can have permission to do? Oh, it? Oh, I was wondering if we were capable of doing it. I was, I was specifically wondering if I'm capable of doing it. I think that, uh, you know what, Matthew? I think it's going to be delightfully infused with some spilled milkage. Okay, yeah, and it's going to be. It's. I'm going to sprinkle my flakes of happiness. Over it. Great. Okay. All right. Well, Matthew, I'll see you on on Zoom tonight. And uh, the rest of the world, I hope to see you on Zoom tonight, too. Yeah. All right. You can find us at uh, SpillDuckPodcast.com, a a website where nothing... No, you can find the show notes. No, you can't even find the show notes there. A completely useless website. You can find us at Facebook.com slash SpilledMilkPodcast, where we'd like to hear what you're doing with Furukake. Excellent. You can, uh, you know, uh, I know we've said it a million times, but you can leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if nothing else, I think there's some people out there who like reading reviews. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, that That is my hobby is, is uh, reading reviews of other people's podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Radio Lab. So many noises. Three stars. <laughs> Great. That is, yes, Jad Abumrad, um, excellent host. Uh-huh, but I, I <laughs> five hear- st- Five stars. Uh- no, I, was, I started the sentence, but I didn't know where I was going to go with it, and then things started to feel dangerous and loaded, <laughs> okay. so I evacuated. No, uh, I like Jad Abumrad. I think that he is brilliant. Oh, yeah, great host. I, li- I like Robert Krolwich also. He's like, gone now. He's not part of the show anymore. I know. I haven't listened to it in a long time. I know. Probably because Robert Kralwich left. Okay, so uh, Instagram at Spilled Milk Podcast. Uh, wow, we've been signing off for a very long time. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, anyway, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. After listening to this show, you can you can uh, dry it out and uh, and crumble it up and listen again. <laughs> that sounds great. All right, that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> to be fair, sometimes uh, when we record remotely, that's what the audio ends up sounding like. <laughs> All right, well, I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amsterbert. People say, hey, nice nabs. <laughs> oh, jeez. I just read the part of the agenda that says shake and sprinkle. Mm-hmm. I, I shake and sprinkle my nabs. Of course. Who yeah. doesn't? Okay, I hope you're recording. Oh, yes, I am. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 